Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Headstuff Podcast with Paul Murray. Uh, I'm here with Noel O'Regan. Hello. Headstuff Literature Editor. Um, Paul Murray is, uh, of course, the uh, author of uh, Skippy Dies, uh, The Mark and the Void and An Evening of Long Goodbyes. Uh, he's a great writer mm-hmm. uh, and a great guy. <laughs> great guy. We've just done the uh, we've just done the podcast with him, the interview, um, and I think we both uh, like him slightly more than before. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just going to make sure never to call him a comic writer again. He's just yeah. he's a writer, Paul Murray writer. Yeah, well, I, that's kind of what I've always said as well. Like, I, 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 it comes up in it comes up in the interview, but I, I just don't think you need to um, specify the type of mm-hmm. writer. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's um, like a a genre writer, you know. He's not somebody bad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> not, who writes, the, not that all genre writers. Not are all bad. genre writers, but you know what I mean when I say like a genre writer. Like when I say like, oh, I suppose I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but someone who just writes a very formulaic type of very specific genre thing that sells, you know, yeah. books. But bottom uh, line, he's a great writer, and it's a great interview. Yeah, you can. Yeah, so, you can. You can. You, you can prefix it with great instead yeah. of comic. <laughs> that works well, I think. So we're just doing a short intro here. Short, very short. Just a short intro. Uh, but he's he's a really nice guy. Um, his books are great. And uh, and oh, you can get uh, uh, if you go to kennys.ie, you can get five percent off his books if you if you uh, if you buy uh, one of his three books and then go to the I can't remember what it says voucher code and type in headstuff. You get five percent off. So go to kennys.ie. That's good. So we talk a lot about um, the Mark and the Void, his new book, which just came out in July. I think, um, and it's uh, it's set in the Irish financial sector, I suppose. Um, it's in the middle of the uh, the the boom, and there's a kind of rich banker who feels his life is boring, and there's a struggling writer named Paul. Um, so it's really 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 good book, and uh, and uh, I recommend it. So I think we should probably just go uh, straight into the uh, interview. Um, this is the uh, Headstuff Podcast, episode ten, with Paul Murray. So hello, hi Paul. Hello, um, hey. We're, we're, we've started now, and um, okay. that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm being very animated because we started the podcast. Uh, I'm here with Paul Murray um, and Noel Regan, literature editor of uh, Headstuff.org. So uh, we're we're here to talk about Paul and his books, his wonderful books. Um, the Mark and the Void just came out. What you've got here. Are you uh, how, how are you feeling about it at the moment? You thrilled? Uh, I'm feeling uh, positive about it. Good. Yeah, it's good. It's, well, it's good. nice to have it. It's nice to have it out. It's weird. It's, I finished it quite. Um, I finished it just in May, so it's been quite like in, in the publishing world. That that would be regarded as like a very very tight time. Yeah, to that seems pretty quick. Kind yeah. of almost straight away. Uh, so it's kind of it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of tricky in one regard in that in that um, like the book hasn't kind of settled in my head yet. So I'm, it's right. it's kind of it's, I find it like slightly hard to talk about it in some ways. But in other regards, it's it's great because, um, like the last book I wrote, uh, there was about a year between me hunting in the last draft and between the book coming out. Yeah, and it's really difficult to to start anything new. Yes, you know, or to 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 yeah, to to it's it felt like just like this limbo time. And I tried to I tried to write short stories and and, and so forth in in the interim, but. But broadly speaking, it was just kind of right. lost time. So. And what happened this time? Were they were they like were they pushing deadlines on your throat or? or? Uh, no one pushed it down my throat, but they wanted it. Um, like once you get into sort of sort of September, October, autumn, that's like the kind of, they would regard that as the Christmas market, you know? Right. Okay. Um, so you're competing with all like the very very sort of commercial stuff. So they said like if it, if if we couldn't do it for July, 
you'd be waiting until next spring, right. so you know, March, April next year. And that felt like just like that would be limbo. That'd be kind of last time again. So, um, right. So, uh, but it's, but it's quite, it's, it's, I'm still sort of surprised to see it. (laughs) (laughs) And so how long from say, you know, the first word to the end product? Um, I started writing it in, in, um, 2002. So the first kind of crack I had at it was in 2002. And then I kind of set it to one side and came back to it after I finished Skippy Dies, which is the last book, um, in about 2000 and nine or 2010 so all told probably about five five years or a little a little over five years that's interesting that so it wasn't really inspired by the banking crisis um i sort of i kind of thought of of having a book set in the financial services center back in 2002 my sister got a job in in bank of bermuda uh and i was so uh, amused <laughs> by the idea that there was such a thing as Bank of Bermuda and just, you know, a bank based on, you know, like as far as, uh, you know, I, I was aware Bermuda really just signified dematerialization, uh, things being made to disappear in, in mysterious stroke, uh, sinister ways. Yeah. Uh, so the idea that, that like a bank could be based in Bermuda was, was funny to me. And also the idea that just like of investment banking, like she was just describing this, 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 this bank where there was no money, you know, yeah. like no money to be seen, uh, and I just I found that like really intriguing. Um, so at that point, uh, at that point, like I didn't really know anything about the world of finance, and I just thought of the IFSC as a place to set a book. Uh, I thought of it just as like just a boring place where mm. people had kind of boring jobs uh, and were very sort of you know it was a sort of just a very, a very kind of grey institutional landscape. Um, so the draft I wrote then, or it's sort of the, the half draft I wrote then was was um that was kind of thrust it was like just a very broad comedy and the idea was just to have this kind of uh, very uh anonymous kind of salary man set against this this sort of disreputable writer figure um and you know because i didn't really know much about finance and because i just thought of it as just this kind of great place the, there wasn't really much um much kind of bite to it or i felt right. like there wasn't much purchase to it so there wasn't really enough at that point to kind of sustain a, a novel um but then the crash happened in the meantime in 2000 and 2008 the financial crash happened were you the only were you the only person happy about the crash uh well you know um, i was just I, I kind of for a long time i was just a concerned citizen i started reading up on 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 you know on, on that that world just as a concerned citizen and then like kind of eventually like sort of the the the, the, the kind of the spark yeah. occurred or i connected the, the dots or the wires or whatever it might be and thought like oh wait a second you know that thing that i wrote can actually have some, you know, there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. actually, you can, you can do something with that. And there's, there's a whole, there's all of this other, there's all of these other elements to the world, to that, that world of finance. Um, like kind of in the same way that like the last book was set in a school and because it was set in a school and everybody was studying, you know, the kids are studying all these different subjects. You could really bring in as many topics as you wanted to yeah. by the same token, uh, the world of financial capitalism you know, you can you can join the dots between that and and like l- almost literally any other topic you want to yeah, yeah. think of. So it just like it was this, it was just this wonderful opportunity to write about all these other yeah. elements of of you know modernity and and society that that uh, that I kind of was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Was it at that point when you decided to um, bring in the whole kind of meta fiction element to it? Then I think all the meta fiction was there at the get go. Um, so the the book is about this is about uh, a disillusioned French investment banker called Claude, um, and he's not disillusioned with banking. I guess he's just disillusioned with 
himself he sees himself as being this this you know this this sort of a um storyless man without qualities type figure and he meets this writer whose name is Paul and and the writer uh purports to want to tell the story of of this banker he says like he sees Claude as being kind of a modern day everyman um and he says that if James Joyce was writing Ulysses in the 21st century he'd set it in the IFSC and he'd have a banker as his everyman um and the metafiction was there from the get go because I suppose uh I started writing the book in 2002 and that of course was was pretty much the pinnacle of the Celtic Tiger and if you're working as a writer in the Celtic Tiger like it's very hard to 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 talk about it without seeming like you're complaining but but uh you were sort of you know um uh superfluous a super, superfluous figure um like there was really like writing in, in a really sort of like everything about the Celtic Tiger was um was overt you know everything everything was really sort of on the table and and um people sort of abjuring one set of rules uh, for another set of rules or for another mm. set of protocols or, or or ways of living like it was done in like this really in this really kind of um uh unapologetic way by which i mean sort of you know i when i when i was growing up in the sort of 1890s ireland was was a very kind of you know just a conservative catholic boring place and everybody lived in kind of quite a straight-laced way and um apart from sort of well yeah broadly speaking like that was the way everyone rules um and then suddenly in the 90s in the late 90s everything changed and suddenly from ireland turned into this like turbocharged economy and, and became like most globalized country in the world and, and everybody started um living in this very very materialistic way in this very this conspicuous consumption which which you know you know you would have seen in like sort of 1987 and kind of the thatcherite london yeah. it was that sort of loads of money culture uh which <laughs> struck me as kind of really embarrassing like if you looked at like, <laughs> the irish times magazine was sort of the, where you would go to see like what the latest uh manifestations of this you know like just a hotel made of truffles or, you know, <laughs> cars shaped like swans or, you know, uh, just, it was like, it was really ludicrous. Um, but, but like just, just, just flashing your money was really the way that, that like, and, and like, again, look, this isn't being preachy. This is this the way, like, like almost literally everybody started to think and to act. Um, and books, of course, well, it affected the world of publishing and writing in two ways. Like on the one hand, um, books were seen as part of, of the old guard. So like literature, was one of the ways that Ireland had sort of one of the few ways Ireland had to feel good about itself in the past. Mm. And now that we're like, you know, the most important country in the world, we didn't need books anymore. So that yeah. was, you know, we all that stuff, James Joyce, Samuel Beckett. Okay, we'll name some bridges after them. But <laughs> we just sort of this kind of fusty, fusty kind we'll of... build um, bridges to name them after them. Well, so yeah, we you know, the, or, or building bridges was a way of like thinking about them or mentioning them without yeah. having to read the books. You know, it's like, you know. uh, but, um, but... The other way was, was that, uh, you know, books are, are like, you know, a book is, is 10 quid. You couldn't really show off to your neighbours uh, with a book. So while the art market, for instance, in, in Ireland became like really, really uh, kind of, um, what's the word, uh, turbocharged and, and kind of bloated. And, and suddenly everyone's like, falling, like you know, the price of Louis Le Brocchi's kind of went through the roof and so on and so on. Um, books, like just there was no status attached to books anymore, you know, so so... So that's that's all. Uh, all of that is to say that um, you kind of felt really, uh, you felt really outside of things culturally speaking, but also f 
financially speaking, it became like a really difficult country to mm -hmm. live in because like just rents were going up and up and up and up and up. Um, and, you know, my earnings were certainly not going up and up and up and up. Right. Um, so the character of the, of Paul in the book is like, he's not supposed to be me, but he's this guy who's really felt <laughs> uh, like he he does complain and he is sort of this kind of quite sort of whiny, sort of resentful figure. Yeah. But he's, he's, lived, he's, he's come out of this world or this kind of phase of Irish life where he's felt like just completely um, worthless and his work to be completely pointless. And also, like most, most, um, most uh, importantly and saliently, like he's broke. He just does not have any money. Yeah. And he doesn't think that there's any way that he can survive as a writer. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the point um, that he's at. Yeah, um, about him being named Paul. So I know it's not you. You can get that from reading the book. I mm. hope. <laughs> <laughs> but why? I suppose why? Why did you make that choice then to call him Paul? Uh, well, I don't know. It just seemed like uh, I was having a conversation. Well, I guess like sort of historically, I just I really like that that kind of meta thing, and and like it's very kind of trendy at the moment. You can see it like in yeah. in Josh Cohen and Jonathan Safran Foer and. Mm -hmm. um, David Foster Wallace and Philip Roth and well, it, well back as well well back too yeah. yeah absolutely yeah 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 yeah. but it goes way back I mean you know if you look at, at uh, you know the first novel arguably is, is Don Quixote and Cervantes turns up in, in, in Don Quixote oh, to, yeah. to scold uh, <laughs> Don Quixote for, for buying a, a pirated edition of, of uh, Don Quixote which is amazing yeah. um, and I love like Charlie Kaufman like adaptation and, mm -hmm. and those films yeah but I also love, like, you know, in, in, in Roadrunner cartoons, when Roadrunner would be going so fast that he'd run right out of the frame, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I remember yeah. just being a kid and going, whoa, that's, that's incredible, <laughs> you know? And, like, without knowing, yeah. like, what meta meant or any of those mm -hmm. things, just just that was really exciting, yeah. just the idea of, of Roadrunner coming out yeah. of the screen at you. Yeah. Like, I've just found really, just really thrilling. And just that, that, that kind of um, crossover between reality, so-called, and, and, and fiction I just yeah. thought it was really thrilling. And, yeah, I think um, that's got really popular in movies nowadays. I don't know, have you seen like the new Jurassic Park or like 21 Jump Street? They're all really... What was the first one you said? The, the Jurassic World, the new Jurassic... Oh, no, I haven't seen it, no. Oh, right. It's all, it's all about, well, it's it's Jurassic Park 20 years later. Yeah. But it's always mentioning like the fact that this is a big movie, it's a big sequel. Yeah. Like and the, the park is like this huge park that's following this other park and they're talking about the films, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, wait, wait. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very self-referential. Very yeah, self-referential. Yeah. And the same with 21 Jump Street, I know we saw that, but it's all about yeah. like remaking these old police programs and things, you know, like yeah. as in programs within the police force, not television shows, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I've seen that in more and more films these days. Yeah. Um, and then, and uh, so in your book as well, and I really enjoy it. I always think it's really... I think it's funny no matter what. Like. It's funny. Yeah. I think it's just funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know like what, what what philosophical point necessarily Twenty One Jump Street was trying to make, but but uh, I don't. I um, think it was funny. I'm quite sure why it's funny, but, no, but I yeah. suppose. But I think stuff like that is kind of a given in American culture. But it's interesting to see it starting to come to the fore in Ireland now as well, like in Irish literature, things like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone like say Rob Doyle is quite. Is he to see that as well? In some of the short fiction, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, about time, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, like that stuff has been around in fiction for, as I say, for quite a long time. Since so, the start, so uh, yeah. yeah, so, so, um, um, I, I kind of thought, I guess the, the, the first kind of concrete, uh, idea for calling him Paul was, uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine one day about, we were talking about Paul, Paul Oster, and Paul Oster kind of frequently, yeah, yeah. would put himself in his books. 
and he'd always represent, you know, he'd always be this kind of like slight, slightly mysterious kind of suave, <laughs> handsome figure with this beautiful wife, you know. Uh, and I just, just, I remember just thinking, just talking to my friends, saying like, just it's so, it's, it's just such a misrepresentation of what a writer's life is like. This, you know, <laughs> Wish fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what Paul Oster's life is like. You know, yeah. he lives in New York and he's kind of, he's kind of this classic sort of capital W writer. <laughs> um, and I, I just find that whole living in New York, polo neck wearing, you know, I'm a literature, really kind of sort of, I don't know, questionable in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I was just saying to my friend, just, just, you know, why, why doesn't someone write about the actuality of being a writer, which most of the time is kind of a fairly abject hmm. position to be in. And she said, you know, well, you, you could be that, you yeah. could be that writer. So, so I thought like, so just like, just, just in the same way that, that, you know, in, in Curb Your Enthusiasm, like Larry David, he's presenting just this really, um, kind of, uh, unreconstructed version of himself yeah 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 by the same token paul is just this um like really exaggerated just exaggerated uh kind of the worst, <laughs> worst possible <laughs> yeah. elements of myself i get i get the sense with with curb enthusiasm i might be wrong here but i get the sense that the stuff that he says like larry david in the yeah. show are the things he would like to say in real life but doesn't yeah uh but like this obviously isn't <laughs> the way you would like to live your life or the kind of things you'd like to do yeah. No, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's just, it's basically just you decided to do it that way and to show what it's really like, maybe a heightened, uh, an exaggerated version of what it's really like to be a writer in Ireland yeah. during the boom. I'll like, accept an exaggerated version of what it's really like. <laughs> uh, I guess like, I, I don't know, I'm, that was sort of the concept originally, uh, like in some ways calling him Paul kind of hamstrung me a little bit because, uh, because you know, I, I kind of worried that... that it would seem like me complaining, you know, when he's complaining about, about, you know, the Celtic tiger or about mm -hmm. like people not reading books anymore. Like I was worried that, that, that would feel like me, um, complaining, but, um, uh, yeah, but there it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so was it, um, the real Paul or the exaggerated Paul that decided to come up with the idea for hot's waitress? <laughs> uh, my hot's .com was, uh, well, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's where he and I would kind of part company. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's where, that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think that he's, uh, like, he's really quite disillusioned. His career has gone a different way to, to mine in that, like, he's only, he's published one book and it's sunk without trace. Um, and he's just, he's just decided that, that the world has, um, he kind of blames the world for the book disappearing yeah. without trace. Yeah. And like that I've been lucky in terms of the way my career has gone and that I've been able to, to support myself and support a family with, 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 with the books. And that's quite unusual. Like it's mm. quite, I used to work in a bookshop, uh, and it's quite, a, it's quite a useful, um, it's quite a useful thing for, for someone who wants to, to write to do in that you would watch, you know, you'd order the fiction or buyer would order in like 20 copies of, of a book and three months down the line you'd, all 20 copies of a book of the book would be going back to the publishers you know mm -hmm. um and just until then the idea that people would just not buy a book had never occurred to me you know just the idea that you know that that, that simply no copies of that book would shift mm -hmm. i just assumed that for every book that existed there would be someone who would be interested in someone who mm -hmm. would want to buy it mm -hmm. uh, and just the realization that that's not the case was was uh salutary i guess in some ways you know the the idea that like it's 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 precarious like it's a hard way to make a living mm -hmm. and i have like many friends who've written like really strong books you know strong books and books that like are not only 
you know, interesting in literary and, and, and so on. But also, like, I would have thought had had like kind of a fairly strong commercial pull as well, mm. but just didn't do anything because just it's 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 sort of a lottery in a lot of ways, um, and uh, that's what this guy cannot accept. That's what Paul in the book cannot accept. Mm-hmm. That just that that it's if you are going to be a writer, then you have to um, you just have to accept that that the world is not all you living, yeah, and yeah. that you know you can you may just you disappear, and yeah. that's just part of the yeah, part of the yeah, job. Yeah. You know, it's a risk you, you take on. So he he wants to set up my huts waitress.com, which you with your different career actually did set up. It's a real yeah. Well, the, book, <laughs> the publisher said they set it. Yeah, the publisher yeah, did. Yeah. What was that? What was the idea behind actually setting it up? Was it? Uh, well, my okay. So my huts waitress.com is so Paul disillusioned. Paul in the book has he's decided that 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 the world is kind of like post fiction, and what has replaced fiction. Um, just people people now construct their own narratives mm. using you know um, internet technology like facebook and and instagram and so forth that's how we we don't need novels we don't need stories anymore because we turn our own lives into stories and novels and like and that's a fairly um kind of standard idea i guess at the point at this point so instead of writing a book himself he wants to give people like a new way to construct stories or a new way to sort of to to um to technologize or or narr- narrativize their lives so he brings, he's got this kind of quite seedy, um, quite seedy construction, which is somewhere between porn and Facebook um, and basically uses real life women to, and, and sort of surveils them and monitors them. Um, so it's a bespoke waitress monitoring service. That, that's what he calls it. Yeah. Uh, so like, it's quite sinister, but I also thought like, I mean, it was really interesting to me. I thought it was kind of an interesting, like, I mean, it's conceivably the way the world is going to, yeah. is going to go. It's like previously, privacy is kind of slowly struck quickly, uh, ero- eroded and, and liquidated. Um, and people's lives are monetized more and more in increasingly creepy ways. Um, like it's not that much of a long shot to say that like people will sort of, you know, it'll, it'll become kind of fair game for people to be, you know, at some point you'll be wearing your Google glasses and you'll walk into a cafe and the Google glasses will be telling you, well, here is the information on this waitress yeah, that you find this person. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. Then, like, that's terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, the initial reason I wanted to have myhutswaitress.com, an actual version of it, was that I, I didn't want someone else to use the site name yeah, yeah. Um, for whatever purpose. I didn't want it to become like a, a porn site or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, or whatever, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. So, so um so that was so I, I asked the publishers if they'd buy the site just 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 for that reason, and then I thought like maybe they could use it for marketing purposes. Yeah, um, yeah I mean the, it's very funny. Yeah, do you like it? I was chuckling away yeah. yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a guy in Penguin called Paul um, Mar- Martinovich. I love that he's called Paul. He's also <laughs> called Paul, and he's, he's in it. He's the, he's a depressed guy in the cafe. Oh, okay, uh, <laughs> that that the fake Paul uh, approaches, uh, but it was it, it was his concept. Uh, and it is it is very funny. I don't know what the actual take up has been like. I don't know. You're so not much, checking the analytics every day, or you're not. Uh, no, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Like, uh, but but uh, but um, but again, like I mean, that's that's quite interesting to me. Like it's it's again, like it's sort of the. Who, I was talking to someone recently about this. Who was it? I can't remember who it was. But just that, uh, what writer? What people want from a writer these days is they want like a personal interaction with the writer. So, mm-hmm. so, so I was at a festival recently, my editor, uh, Simon Presser, uh, has set up this festival co- called Port Elliot, which you may have been at. Yeah, I was at a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you like, did you like it? Oh, great time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's great fun. Uh, it's like, it's music and, and, and books and just, you know, various other sort of festival things. Um, but, but, uh, 
you know, I, I always sort of like I'm concerned if I'm doing sort of a public interview, like what kind of account I'm, I'm going to give of myself. You know, will I be able to say anything coherent or interesting? Or and, and frequently I'm not capable of. Uh, but 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 uh, and also like why like what do people what do people want? Like what do people why do they want to see like a writer? Why do they want to sort of hear a writer sort of speak in public? When obviously like there's a great William Gaddis quote, which if, you, if you've got the internet on, we can we can look up that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like. A, it's well we we can come back if you look William Gaddis shambles that'll be the that'll be the quote um but uh like I think like in our in our modern in our modern world like that's the the, the pe- people want to see like the person behind the book so so you have to come up with some sort of yeah. um medi media mediatable or mediatizable yeah. well, like social media seems to play a big part in that for a lot of writers yeah. like are you on Facebook yourself uh, or do you do that angle no i mean i i i kind of like i i i'm i f- i feel like uh like i'm not sort of as anti it as i was in the past but but um like i mean my sense would be my my job is just to write the books you know and and it's kind of tempting to 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 spend time on like on twitter or to spend time on facebook and i think i'd quite quite enjoy like interacting with yeah. with readers in that way um my fear would be that i just spend too much time in it, you know, and that would become like too much a part of the job, and and you know the writing would suffer as a result. Um, so I haven't, um, I haven't kind of, I haven't kind of pursued that. I have the quote here, the William Gaddis quote: "What's what's any artist but the dregs of his work, the human shambles that follows it around? What's left of the man when the work's done but a shambles of apology?" That's good. There you go. You yeah. know, so <laughs> so like the idea of like setting up like a Twitter page for the shambles of an apology yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem like immediately to be a like a necessary thing to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it does, it does seem like more and more though that publishers are telling writers that it is a necessary thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like they 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 would they've never pushed me to do it you know i mean they, they've never sort of they've never said you must do this or they've never said like this is guaranteed like it's all quite um publishers like everybody like like new stuff you know they like yeah. the new stuff um so i think there's a bit of fascination with um internet or sort of you know cyber technologies of various sorts um but if you look like it's very difficult to establish uh, like a strong correlation between like Twitter and sales. So like even if you've got like a million, there was like a guy who wrote a self help book recently, and he'd like something like I don't know ninety thousand followers um, or more. Nine, I don't know uh, how many followers he had, but 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 only four people pre ordered his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he 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 kind of discontinued his his. Um, so you Twitter, know, Twitter uh, can be very tricksy like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so like. Yeah, it's just something I don't feel currently. One thing that I'm going on tour in America in October, like sort of not a long tour, but for that the publishers were saying were saying you know actually just to get bodies at, to the events, yeah. they said it would be useful to uh, to to that's something that like kind of a Twitter account would be um, mm. would be useful to. So I might I might try and I might try and um, do that in the next kind of month or two. Yeah, you could always. Um open one under the name of, you know, Paul from the book. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Did you read that? You didn't read the, the, the Paul, um, the Joshua Ferris book? Last Not Joshua yet, Ferris. no. That's a great book. Yeah. But there's a guy, um, there's, it's about a dentist who finds that someone has, has usurped his identity mm. online and set up like a fake version of, <laughs> he's also called Paul, Paul O'Rourke mm-hmm. online. So, yeah. 
Wasn't there a big, um, I, I don't know if you know anything about this, there was a big uh, hubbub, let's call it, about uh, John Ronson. Someone had set up a John Ronson yeah, yeah. Twitter account. Yeah. And did you know about this? No. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to know enough information about this now to talk about it, but um, <laughs> it was like these three guys pretending to be John Ronson or something, and he wasn't too happy about it. Yeah. And then I think he set up a Twitter account after that just to be like, oh, this is me and not that other person. Yeah. That. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So people do that. From, people... Um, they're from, I think they're from like university. That's right. They were scientists. Yeah. They're academics. Yeah, that's right. Type, yeah. And they were trying to, they were trying to build some sort of, not artificial intelligence, but something, some robot that was inventing tweets that John Ronson might say. Yeah. 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 Or something like that. Yeah. And I think it was coming out with some weird stuff. I and think then, it was definitely sort of like a what is identity kind of a thrust to yeah. the whole thing, but that just seemed like a very, yeah. a very kind of vampiric and amoral thing to do to a real person. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. But I mean, and like I, the internet is 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 the home of vampiric amoral behavior. Yeah. Right? So that's why it sort of is certainly yeah. like a little bit circumspect about my hot waitress dot com. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there it is. Like people, yeah. like I, mean, I don't know. I'm kind of really interested in the way that people. Um, just behave differently and think differently about themselves yeah. on, on the internet and because they're they're kind of disembodied and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, just like if we're doing this this you know, we're doing this interview face to face and I can look at you across yeah. the desk and look at you and like I can't see what Connor's doing, but it's all, <laughs> yeah. it's all above board behind just me. Just sitting behind looking pretty. But that's you know, that interaction is different, you know, to the way that that, that, that yeah. the interview would, would go if like I, I couldn't see I couldn't see your face and I couldn't see how if it was like a uh, what's it called, an ask me anything, an AMA on on Reddit or something. And what then is that? it's basically so you could go on. You're like I'm author Paul Murray, okay. AMA. Ask me anything. Yeah. And then you'd have a, a list of people asking you questions about your books or just about whatever. Yeah. And always you'll have some people asking you some, you know, very let's call them pornographic questions or okay. or just annoying questions or just being they call it being trolls or trolling sure, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know they, they you kind of think it's harmless, but then loads of people are doing it, and it's 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 not really that harmless, is it? And no, definitely, if a lot a lot of people do it. Yeah. So what most people do is they, they ignore those questions. But I think if you, if this was a thing, say with an audience, the yeah. people who would be trolls online, they're not going to say those things. They're not going to stand up and ask you those questions. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, yeah, the internet. Yeah, can be a bad place. Uh, well, I just place. find that kind of that, that divide between um, just just uh, the, the, the the virtual, the digital world, and and the actual world, uh, and we're sort of like increasingly kind of. Um, pointed towards thinking that like the, they're, they're kind of on a power the digital world is actually slightly more important than the actual world or the physical <laughs> world or, uh, and that's a kind of really dubious I mean we are just a bunch of kind of posh monkeys you know so, so I think that, I think that uh, that's a lovely description just, well, you know, I mean, representing ourselves as being this kind of like these these uh, you know sort of disembodied intelligences just yeah. waiting to be kind of like uploaded onto the internet like is is that's something I find really, I'm kind of quite sceptical about. To be yeah. a good title for your next book. Yeah. Posh Monkeys. Posh Monkeys. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. Have, you, have, you, have you been thinking about that? Is there, what's next? I'm sure you've been thinking about it, but, but what? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, as I said, um, the book, I didn't finish the book until quite recently. So, so I, I'm going to wait for a while just to, just to try and let the well fill mm. up, you know, or, 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 um, uh, or find another well, or, or so, the desire to go back into there's that. Quite a bit of touring as well. You were saying there's like there's a little bit, like there's not a huge amount, but 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 um, I, th- I think like you kind of need a bit of a break. Like I don't think there's any sense in just kind of plowing into something straight away. Like I've got a few ideas, but they're they're really kind of quite quite broad. So what I would like to do is just read. Like there's a few different subjects I'm interested in, and just kind of read around those a bit and see if um just you know wait for kind of things to to. To, to kind of coalesce. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you like to take a, a break after it. I heard a thing about John Banville 
I'm not sure if it's true. It may or not be. It may not be. But he's very kind of regimented in the way he works. Like nine to five, he writes. And yeah. I heard that um, if he, when he gets to the end of a book, he just turns the page and starts the next one. Really? If the day is not finished yet. Yeah. And that may or may not be true. It might be just like, you know, a nice kind of analogy for how the way he works. Yeah. But that terrifies me. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I prefer your way. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, do, I feel like there's a lot of books in the world. So like, I don't think there's, there's mm. you know, there's a great dearth of, of no, yeah, know, there's like this book shortage. Around I think stuff. if you finish a book, you can probably put your feet up for ten minutes. Yeah, I think as well. Like, I mean, the book, the way that I would work in a book, um, like John Banville's books are very kind of quite lean books. They're quite they're t- quite tight, like mm. philosophically speaking. And um, with the books I write are quite baggy, and and they're really sort of repositories for me to kind of uh, throw in like a lot of different things that I'm interested yeah. in at a given point. So, so um, you know, like I mean, I, I feel like I don't, I don't. I, I, I'm kind of waiting for that, that you know the yeah. next idea that will that will hold um, that will hold like so I'm, I'm kind of waiting for like different ideas to accrue or waiting for it to, to find out what I'm interested in yeah because that's actually something else we, we were talking about earlier is your yeah. books they are full of so many different things you know there's a lot of kind of I suppose philosophy and art and different things Skippy obviously has you know string theory and, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and theory and, and just lots of different things so is that are these things you're interested in and then read more on, or do you just kind of read random things and then think, oh, that's I'll read more about this and that might find its way into a book? And yeah, and, it's kind of it's kind of a strange symbiotic um, process, I guess. Um, uh, just just the things that I will, I don't know. I mean, I, I was like, I was, for instance, like with M theory in the book, uh, Skippy dies. Uh, I just like I didn't know much about us initially, and in, in the First World War, I, I knew very little about the First World War. Uh, and I just had like I started writing the book and simultaneously researching those topics mm-hmm. in a very very um, kind of naive way, like yeah, yeah. going into the library <clears throat> and trying to see across the street there and and like pulling out the, the you know the dummies guide to the First World War kind of thing. Yeah, uh, and spending like a long time, like a couple of years, researching without really knowing what what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, but then the longer I was like writing is kind of strange, quite a strange kind of alchemical process. Like you find that that. Uh, you go in like really not knowing what you're doing or not knowing where you're going. And then, um, as Rumi said, as you walk, the path appears, you know, it's quite mysterious. And, and, uh, uh, and so I find, so I started finding all these things in M theory yeah. and indeed in the first world war. And, and, and that, that d- did relate to the book and to, to the mm-hmm. themes of the book in a really direct way in a really sort of exciting way. And the same, by the same token with, with, um, with the Mark and the Void, you know, I started writing about or started researching, um, banking mm. and like I mean that was a bit less kind of abstract I guess in in that uh, like the Mark and the Void is probably a bit more kind of like political or whatever but um, but uh, but kind of by and large like all of those things all of those different themes are, are all they're all things that, that I I, I uh, I'm really interested in the idea of these kind of master narratives of these kind of big theories yeah. that we're told will explain everything. So mm-hmm. like an M theory, M theory supposedly is, uh, M theory is kind of like the, the kind of the, the best maybe version of those because M theory is like this, is the theory of everything yeah. that nobody can understand. You know, it's like yeah, the theory yeah. of everything that will unlock all secrets, okay, yeah. but we won't know what it even means for like another sort of you know 100,000 years kind of thing so, and are you uh, keeping up with all that now like say the, the, the Large Hadron Collider and stuff yeah is that, is that the, which, the, the Large Hadron Collider and, and oh yeah is, is really, it, no, is it not I keeping up of, I found like I, you you're know, done with that now. I was um, you know yeah, enough you know really, enough about M-theory you're moving on leave them figure out the rest of it well it's uh, 
I was kind of interested in that. In that, it, you know, it, it's. I was interested in it insofar as it didn't work. Like that was really what interested me about it—that right. it didn't mm-hmm. work. Okay. And by the same token, um, the First World War, like the theories or the kind of the ideas behind that, like honor, patriotism, and so forth, they didn't work. Yeah. Um, and and banking, you know, the 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 new paradigm of banking by which like the bank could never lose, it didn't work. You know, yeah. so that's that's where, where, where all of those things okay. were interesting to me. And by by the same token. Um, what we were just talking about, like yeah. uh, this kind of this this uh, this idea that we're we'll someday sort of like escape our human shackles and become become like these kind of virtual beings, like I'm and that that's something that's kind of like is is kind of uh, in train at present. Like Google are sort of like are, are pursuing that quite vigorously. Alphabet, no, Alphabet, yeah, <laughs> Alphabet are pursuing it quite are quite vigorously. Yeah. Um, and again, like it just seems to me to be based on this like massive miss 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 comprehension of what it is to be mm. human and what it is to be alive yeah mm. and then people like Stephen Hawking who a lot of people would hold up as the kind of well definitely the most famous scientist but you know yeah. one of the top ones and he's terrified of this stuff like, is he yeah he's very like uh, AI freaks him out he doesn't yeah, really want yeah. computers getting that powerful and yeah. robotics and and Elon Musk as well they're, they're both like really? they both signed petitions to try and slow it down or at least wow. regulate it a bit more because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. afraid you know that's really interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there's other scientists out there that are like, yeah, AI, let's go. Well, scientists see the world in a, in a certain way. Like yeah. scientists tend to be particular kinds of people and they're not people who are good at often to generalize. I'm generalizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but often they're not people who are good at the human end of things, like yeah. relating and, you know, compassion and care and those things um, are not things that scientists are, are, are necessarily good at. So, you know, even now, like if you use Facebook, someone said, I think it was Zadie Smith said that like... Um, when you use Facebook, we imagine like Facebook as like being this great expansion of our powers of communication and so forth. But in fact, it's in other ways like it's a limiting of our ways of, of seeing like you're you're seeing the world through through Mark Zuckerberg's mm. Mark Zuckerberg's eyes, you know. Mm. So you're seeing the world as like this just grid of little boxes. Yeah. And when you like things now, you like them in this like massively yeah. reduced, you know, way like whereby like you're you're just it's like just a like sort of throwaway find someone in this like this really empty reduced way yeah um and like so so yeah like a world designed by scientists you know is 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 going to be a way it's going to be a world where like a lot of things are yeah are mm, a lot of really important things are going to be constrained or restrained yeah I think we need it designed by artists, but we still need the scientists to figure it out for us. <laughs> because well, I don't know. I think the, the point of art is to say that, like, you know, there is no answer. You know, there is no... Like, no. You're just yeah. asking questions. And, and, and the whole point of being alive is to continue to, continue to ask questions, you know, and, and, and find your own path. Um, and that's very much at variance in science. Science is going, well, here are the answers. Well, I um, don't know if I agree with that. I, I think science is really asking the questions and they're trying to find the answers, but they're trying to find... The, the right answer if I they then very... find a different right answer okay then they forget the old answer yeah and that's i think that's fine i think that's what progression is but the, but but if you look at something like some questions don't have answers so you, if you look at richard dawkins there yeah. is kind of like a kind of a, a kind of a terrifying instance of the scientific brain because he's someone who's like who's like obviously like a great genius and he's massively intelligent or something mm. but just the way he relates to people is like just you know in terms of if you want to persuade someone of your ideas like Richard Dawkins often goes to that about that like completely the wrong way because he just mm-hmm. has like this very very blinkered idea of of how to communicate you know so mm-hmm. so yeah um, and scientists like 
are always getting things wrong, but they don't tell you they're wrong. They don't say like, well, this is probably, or this might be, or this, they say, well, this is what's happening. You know, this is how it is. And then like 10 years later or five years later, six months down the line, they go, well, actually, yeah, we were, we were completely wrong. About but it. I think that's the beauty of it, that they will say they're wrong. I, I think when they come up with a new theory, they, they do say, this is our theory at the moment, this is what we think. It's the best answer we have at the moment. Yeah. I don't think, like, you could say art or religion, for example, is they kind of give you the answer and this is the answer. Well, it doesn't give you the answer. Well, not, a, not, not answer, art, right? but I mean, what I mean is science, I think they do com- try and come up with the best possible answer with, has, which has the most evidence. Yeah. And if they're wrong, I think they will say they're wrong and then they'll say, oh, look, this one has more evidence than I was. Yeah, but some things are not available to science would be, would be sort of the way I'd look at it. You know, so yeah. the human mind, like what we're looking at at the moment in, the, in sort of in the world of, of psychology is like, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. Like, so, so, so there's a massive misrepresentation um, you may want to consult your lawyers before running this bit, but, but uh, <laughs> I know again, this is just something I'm I'm, I'm interested in. It's like just, in neuroscience, isn't it? Yeah. Well, more sort of the way that that science would would treat depression. You know, mm. like it's very very clumsy, and they've had like a lot of really negative results with the way that like you know the medicalization of yeah. of of the human mind. Um, but you're not sort of told that. You're not really told the extent to which they don't know what they're doing, and the extent to which they don't understand consciousness. You know, so there can so be like a, a lot of the solutions well, you're kind of that are offered to people, like scientific solutions and medical solutions, are often like the less good solution. You know, like I mean, as opposed to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I suppose I feel like there's a, there is a difference again between, let's say, pharmaceutical companies and and other scientists. So there are some scientists that work for profits in that kind of way yep. and that's generally not a good way to go about things um, and that's when you, you end up with all these drugs for every single little psychological issue you might have yep. um, and that's a problem um, but then there are other ways of looking at the science of psychology and obviously some things you have to test and they will work and, they, and you'll get there eventually and others you won't um, for example the, the uh, heart surgery at the start the first few people that got heart surgery died you know yeah. and you could easily say Ooh, science, take it, take it easy, stop that. Well, I don't think anybody's, you know, advocating a, a rejection of heart surgery. No, but they were then, which is my yeah, point, yeah, because yeah, they were like, yeah. this isn't working, stop it. And then yeah. a couple of doctors and scientists powered through, and now we have heart surgery, which yeah. generally works. So maybe it's the same with, you know, different psychological things. Yeah. Eventually it'll okay, start. But I think, no, my, my, yeah, okay, that's, that's, I agree with all that. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, going back to the thing with the um, with all the, you know, you're, you're putting loads of stuff in, you're reading lots of different things and yeah. they, they come together in a, in, a, in a hodgepodge, I think you, you called it. It's like, um, do you ever have, uh, I don't know if you do any writing prompts or anything, whereby you might, somebody might give you like, say, three things and you have to put them together for a story. It's Would I, would I do that? Well, you, you're aware of them, I suppose, sometimes maybe in, in writing classes or, or you can see writing prompts on the internet where it's like... Sure. I, I need inspiration and then there's like three things and yeah. write a story about, with these three things in it. Yeah. It's just a starting point, I suppose. Yeah. I, 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 I thought that when I first read the back of this, it seems a bit like, I, I, I doubt you actually went and said, I'm going to take, you know, like a, a kind of a porn website and banking and something else and try and make a novel out of it. Yeah. But it reads a bit like, what links investment banking, art theft, www.myhotswaitress.com a four-year-old boy named after TV detective Remington Steele, a Pacific Island and a pest control business run by an ex-KGP agent. You know, it sounds a little bit like all those things were taken and it's like, oh, I'm going to get all these things together. Yeah. But obviously it doesn't happen that way. So you've, you've read a lot about banking. Yeah. And then do you read a lot about then, I don't know, say, uh, 
these these websites or the maybe startups or, or that kind of thing um, or did that just is the plot no, no, brought it's you there like sort of it's just it's just i guess sort of what's in the ether at the moment you know mm. just like just just the world around me i'm interested in writing in about the the present day and it seems like um that's uh like increasingly i think we sort of got off topic a bit there with that conversation about science yes. but um i guess like just sort of the, the kind of the, the, the point i was trying to make there was that like um the way that people communicate has been kind of uh, has has been sort of delegated to to technology, you know. Or people well, people communicate in different ways. Now. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, people are lonely as a result. Like, I mean, there's 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 a lot of evidence to show that people, if you just communicate digitally, um, you will be lonely. You know? yeah. And 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 so people's lives are, are more alienated and more atomized and and more difficult. Like, yeah. uh, as in in a way because. Because of the way the world has has changed just in the last ten years, yeah. um, and it's all kind of tied into money, you know, and and that's the nexus uh, between all those things that you just read out, I guess. Mm. Um, so on the one hand, you've got, um, you know, what's the, what's the, you know, how do you monetize desire? Like you turn yeah. it into you turn it into porn, and how do you monetize human communication? You turn it into like Facebook, and how do you mm. monetize this? And how do you monetize that? Um, and that's the world that this that this book is is set in, and it's a world that both of these guys are finding difficult in their own way. So one's like a total outsider. He's, yeah. he's the writer and he's like just, he's outside looking in and wishing that he could just get a piece of this, um, financial pie. And, and then the, but the insider equally is, uh, like he's secure, but he feels like just totally lost and alone. Yeah. Um, so it's about finding some way of, of, uh, of both these guys trying to find some way of, you know, of, of like just living meaningfully, which is, which is the question that mm. art has been asking, like since the get go, and and which science has has thus far uh, failed to give an answer for. <laughs> yeah, before we get back onto science, no, <laughs> can we stop talking about science? <laughs> I was going to ask you said you're interested in um, writing about the present day, and yeah. you know, quite often, like say Julian Goff, a few years back, he made the comment about how Irish literature is too backward focused. Yeah, um, I don't know. Do you still think that's the case? Do you think it's changed perhaps since he made those comments? Um. Well, Julian Goff says a lot of things, you know, he's, 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 he's sort of a provocateur, you know, so, so, um, so I don't, I don't know if, I think his, his tongue was probably a little bit in his cheek when he said that, mm. um, like people can write what they want, you know I mean? And, and, uh, I think the fact that like certain books get attention, um, doesn't mean that, that other kinds of book aren't, aren't being written. Mm. Um, like personally speaking, I think that we live in a really interesting time and, I feel like, to a certain degree, like, like, um, you, you, I mean, there, there's so many interesting things to think about and talk about that that it feels like. I would feel like I was dodging the issue if I was just writing about an era where there were no computers. You know, yeah. I would really feel like that I was I was not writing about reality or writing about my experience of reality in 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 a in an honest or genuine way or an authentic way. Um, but other writers may feel different differently. They may feel like writing about, you know, like 1950s is that there's, there's, you know, there's, there's emotional resonances there that, that, um, that are still to be mined. And there's still things I think you can tell us about the time. Like, I mean, I, equally, like, I think there's like Ireland's history is so freaking dark and so much of it is still buried and invisible that like, there are like many, many stories, mm. like the place that we're living in today uh, which is so good at secrets and so good at disguising and so good at like avoiding the truth, um, comes out of all of that burial, literal burial often, 
um, that that happens like throughout throughout the twentieth century and the nineteenth century. So so in that regard, you could you could um, you could make a strong case for like writing about the past. But for me personally, like it wouldn't be. I don't know. I just feel. I just yeah. feel like. So wasn't. we'll never get like a McGarren-esque rural novel from you. <laughs> uh, like it would be an interesting challenge, but but I don't know. Just I just I just it like really would be an interesting challenge, <laughs> but I I don't think I could. A parody of sorts, maybe. It would end yeah. up just being a pastiche or a parody. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's the other thing, the other side of the you know writing a novel without a computer or a phone. There's now. Because phones make everything much easier in terms of a plot, you know. It's like yeah. just just ring them or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so now there's all these kind of highly conceited ways of losing phones at the start, or reasons why yeah. phones don't work, or computers, or that you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I suppose to talk a little bit about comic comic writing, your your books are very comic. Um, were you always like that? Did, did we always kind of incline towards comedy? Did you ever have any interest in other types of like comedy, like stand up comedy, maybe or or uh, Did no. you always write comically, or? Yeah, I probably always wrote comic. Well, yeah, in, in school I used to like write a lot of sort of comic sketches, and mm. um, uh, per, I don't know. Yeah, did, did you? Like, I guess when I started writing stories in college, I wrote they they weren't necessarily funnier. They weren't always funny. Um, I guess I've, I I like writing that. Like, I mean, it's comic, but there's usually some sort of. Uh, darkness or loss or or you know uh, at, at the at the center of it so so um i guess I, I would be interested in comedy as just one means of dealing with like you can tell a lot of truth with through comic writing that you can't necessarily tell through through um quote unquote serious <laughs> writing you know what i mean uh like i think i think sort of yeah i don't what do, what do i mean by that um i think that uh that life is, if you're to give a truthful account of life, it's usually sort of quite, quite comic. You know, people, mm. people live, you know, if you look at the world or look at your own life or anybody else's life, you know, we make mistakes and that's, that's the way that, that's what it is to be human, you know? So, mm. and if you make mistakes, um, often that is funny. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at, if you look at like, you know, the, the financial crisis, um, it is ripe for comedy in that like it was a bunch of like the highest paid people in the world the best computer modeling equipment in the world um, making like the just biggest fuck up in the history of civilization <laughs> like literally you know so it's yeah. quite like that is quite yeah. that is quite funny yeah. and <laughs> if you look at it that way yeah well, what's funnier still is that like those guys are now saying well let's give it another go let's give it another <laughs> shot you know yeah. so um, so like so that's 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 um, that is that is funny to me but I think again like there's there's, there's like an obvious dark side to that you know mm-hmm. and there's obvious dark side to um to to like i guess the three books that have, have been written are, are, are all kind of like uh um i like thomas pynchon a lot so we we're talking mm-hmm. about about um you know publicity and so forth and pynchon like or pynchon is like a very mysterious writer who's never been kind of photographed and never does interviews and never does any of those things um, and goes on The Simpsons. And then goes on The Simpsons, yeah, 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 yeah. with a bag over his head. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like, his stuff is very, very funny, um, but it's also very dark, you know. And it's about uh, the reason it's dark is because he writes these very complex books about, you know, um, systems like the military industrial system or whatever it might be, and uh, those things are very, very big, and the people in the books are very, very small, you know. So, so if you're writing a book about a person in the world, then 
um, it generates a lot of comedy because yeah. the obvious mechanism there is that they don't know what's going to happen. You know, they don't yeah. know what's going to happen, so they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, so the surface mechanism or surface engine or the or kind of the main engine is is um, comedy because they're going to fall into the hole down mm. the street. You know, but the ultimate message of the book is probably going to be pretty dark because they're in the hole and it's dark and they, they're never going to find their way out. You know, they're yeah. not going to defeat the yeah. the system. Um, so, uh, but I think you can tell that story better or you can express that truth better through comedy than you can through, um, through, uh, again, like serious fiction. I think like sort of, if you write about things seriously, then there's this, this kind of pull, this gravitational pull to sort of start aggrandizing human experience or aggrandizing mm. suffering or death or, or, or tragedy yeah. in, in ways that, that are actually distorting or, yeah. you know, ennobling of things that you don't want to ennoble. Yeah. Mm. It is strange though, because quite often if you refer, if you refer to someone as a comic writer, mm. um, particularly from the more literary, you know, serious fiction yeah. viewpoints, it's seen almost as a patronizing thing or I don't know, a limiting thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I don't know, it's strange to me anyway. I don't know how... If someone referred to you as, say, a comic writer... Yeah, I actually yeah. I actually wrote about Skippy Dies when I was in college. It was yeah. like, there's a few books and I picked that one. And it started to bother me that people kept calling it a comedy book. Yeah. Even though, you know, you're a comic writer. You, you know, it's, it, it's very funny. But I thought, because it was a prefix of comedy book, as opposed to just, you know, book or novel, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I just don't know if it needed that. I, and I argued that, you know, it was... Uh, everything is kind of funny in a way and and ev- like do you ever have a conversation without laughing very rarely if you bump into somebody there's generally a laugh fairly early on maybe yeah. that's just ireland i don't know so i, I don't there was, there was sorry to interrupt but i, I, was, yeah, I was i remember i used to live in ranelagh and on the on a, one of the benches in palmerston park I used to go for a walk every day in palmerston park before i'd start work on skippy and someone you know on some of the benches there's these kind of memorial plaques and uh one had a quote by i think Shamfor, Nicolas de Shamfor, and it was uh, the only wasted day. The only truly wasted day is the one in which we have not laughed. Yeah, and I thought that was a really beautiful yeah sentiment, mm-hmm. you know. And that's like one of the ways that we communicate yeah. that the like, yeah. computer thus far has not been able to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, except for through memes. Except for yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, you're right. Like it's just like it just actually just struck me now when we we're just talking about um, comic writing as opposed to. Like as opposed to what? Like is, yeah, is exactly. Writing? Is yeah. It like, are they all like? Yeah. Is it like just novels and then, you know, this little niche, yeah. niche thing of comic writing? I don't know. It sounds yeah. like when I when I hear comic writing or comic novel, it's it's it feels like there's this element of desperation to it. Like the writer's just you know he's come on with you're too young to remember Ken Dodd, you know, but but just like so some you know he's got like he's got like a, an emu or something like stuffed emu or he's got like right. you know a a feather duster to try and tickle you or this is this element of like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. please laugh at me, you know, and uh, that's not the way that, that I would kind of construe yeah. the books at all. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, it was just, I would just see them as, as novels. Like I would, I would yeah. be drawn to novels that have some sense of, of like the absurd, you know, I mean, if, even if you look at like, you know, Don DeLillo or, or someone like that, like he's very, obviously very serious and he's regarded as being like, you know, serious capitalist, serious writer. But his books are like are really funny. Like yeah. White Noise is a really funny book, you know. And Philip Roth as well. I mean, he'd be quite funny. Yeah, Philip Roth is, 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 is like most great writers are really funny. Yeah. But it's like either you're called a comic writer and you're sort of slightly marginalized mm. 
or else you're regarded as a capital W writer <laughs> and the comic elements are sort of mm. are kind of played down and we don't really talk about the book being <laughs> yeah. being funny. Well you can talk amongst your friends but but you know you the, the kind of the serious discussions won't mention the, the comedy. Yeah, yeah. So you like the paper I wrote in college. Good. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I approve. I didn't write it. Like, it sounds like you're, you're no, it was, was terribly written. You shouldn't like it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it is. I think it is a good point. Like, obviously, you know, the books are funny, but it's it, they're they're just novels. Like, you know, that's, that's I, I agree. Well, I don't know. Like, one of the things I was trying to write about in the Mark and the Void was just like, you know, what what is the point of a book? And and um, ideally, like, it's it's some kind of form of like David Foster Wallace like was writing about this about just just about about how it's 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 a it's a it's an attempt at communication you know and it's, and it's hopefully like a way that will make the reader feel like less alone you know and, and mm. more you know more at home in the world you know and and uh yeah so the novel is supposed to do something but it's it's um it's you know it's not it's not that it's not the end of the world people think about novels or write about novels in a strange way sometimes like if if uh, if you're reading a book about the Holocaust, that that doesn't you know people feel that's somehow more important than reading a book that has jokes in it. Like and it doesn't mm. really there's nothing necessarily you're not doing anything when you're reading a book about the Holocaust. You're not helping anybody, yeah, you know. And you're yeah. not you're not you're not maybe there's an act of, of empathy there, but you know it's it's. Um, People feel like it again. To use the word, ennobles them in some way to read serious fiction, or there's some kind of like special, special um, dispensation, or like you're sort of it's. Mm, I don't know. It's it's all kind of quite suspect. So so again, like that's something I was trying to write about in in the book. Just just uh, just about that kind of like the um, the kind of the status of books in the world and the way like the books. I think because books are slightly more of an endangered species than they were, mm-hmm. writers feel like have to writers are kind of seizing for importance or looking for importance or like trying to kind of um, give their work an importance that that you know it doesn't have necessarily anymore. So they're reaching for these things. So writers are writing writing about um, like like genocide or like mm-hmm. like poverty or like the mm-hmm. third world or whatever um, things that feel like authentic and real, you know and um, but have nothing to do with the writer's own lives, or yeah. nothing to do with the lives of any of their readers, you know. So, and I find that again, kind of like vampiric and a little bit creepy. Just mm-hmm. this, 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 uh, this, like kind of slightly desperate scramble for authenticity, yeah. and it seems to reflect nothing more nor less than than the fact that the writers feel like they're not authentic anymore. Yeah. They're not like sort of in a place to 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 describe reality anymore. Um, and that's something that that you know yeah. maybe we could or, or could be fruitfully looked at. Yeah, I I don't know if you uh, um, made a, like a conscious effort to to go more towards comedy in this book or or less, um, or maybe more than than Skippy. I'm not sure. I found it very very funny, okay. um, uh, and I, I suppose maybe I felt like some of the characters were more comedic than others. So like Igor seems like he he obviously creates a lot of comedy, yeah, uh, just by being a lump or whatever you know yeah. uh, he's also one of the most i suppose menacing in a way because you don't really know what he's about or what he's going to do maybe with the um maybe how he as well is kind of menacing in that way um but was, was it a conscious effort to maybe have a bit more kind of to actually to to reach to not reach but to go for comedy a bit more or to actually you know direct it in that way for with characters like igor or, or maybe some of the the situations that happen 
are very kind of comedic kind of set pieces in a way. Yeah, again, well, I wanted to, I wanted to, um, I wanted to keep it in this world of banking, mm-hmm. and I was very concerned that. So the book is just about um, the world of banking being kind of quite uh, obviously like it's the it's it, you know it's a world very consumed by money and materialism, and bankers uh, see the world in a particular way, you know, um, and it's a way that's uh, quite kind of a cold, alienated way a lot of the time, you know, because mm-hmm. they're just seeing if the banker looks at the world, his job is to see the, the, the value in it, like, and the, the, the monetary value, not any of the other values, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to write about that world because those values or that way of seeing things as financial capitalism has continued to roll since like the 1980s, that, that way of seeing the world has spread out of banking and into the, rest of the, um, into the rest of the world. So like all of us now see the world more like bankers than we did you know, 10 or 20 years ago, mm-hmm. five years ago even, you know, we see things without even knowing it. We see things in this much more kind of um, cold, kind of right wing, um, monetizing, derealizing mm-hmm. way uh, than we used to. Um, so I wanted to write about that. And my concern was that um, it would be boring to read about because it it's, it's, you know, banks are like, it's, it's the stuff's quite dry and it's quite technical. Yeah. And so like the very, the very thing that it, that interested me about us in that like which is to say like this these bunch of people who are very very powerful and see things in a very reductive kind of cold alienated way that almost guaranteed that the book would be um would be dry and emotionless and because that's how they see things you know mm-hmm. uh, so the temptation was um to bring in some sort of tragedy that would give it some kind of emotional heft, you know. So, like the banker would be. There's a little bit of that in the bankers. The banker's in mourning, and he's, he's you know, he's he's uh, he's got this relationship with his with his father that has caused him all kinds of problems. Um, but the temptation was to do with like something much bigger with that, and to to make him, you know, make him real, and to, like to you know, jerk a few tears and so forth. Um, but I felt like like we were talking about. Like I felt like that would be kind of dishonest, and that would sort of distort the message of the book, and I'd yeah. be doing exactly what I did not want to do, which is like reaching outside the yeah. parameters of the book to try and give it this like um, emotionality that, that that world does just, just does not have. And the whole point of that world is that it's, it doesn't have that and it doesn't have the equipment yeah. to, um, to help people to deal with those, that aspect of their lives. You know, mm. it's just a world where that, that, that whole part of being human has been kind of closed off and shut down. Um, so I, 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 I made the decision like to try and stick with that world as broadly as good, but at the same time, I want, at the same time, I wanted to make it like interesting and entertaining to read. Like, I, you know, um, and the way to do that was, I thought was to make it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it seemed to me like that world is like, it's so, um, boring. It's not boring, but it's, it's, it's very, in fact, it's really, really interesting. I've got my, I got really, really interested in this. And there's a lot of very smart people working in there, uh, in that world. But what they're doing is so technical, and it's so arta- arcane, it's so yeah. esoteric, and it's also so mental <laughs> that, like, with only just like a little bit of tweaking, yeah. you could you could you could make it you could make it funny. You could take it like completely over the top, yeah, with just a little bit of a yeah, you know, a little bit. And that's of where a, the whole division, the the Howie division, kind of came from, I suppose, where they're literally buying. Oh yeah, yeah. Jets or whatever they're buying, like yeah, you know, failures. Yeah. yeah, well, again, <laughs> yeah. like there's, there's, uh, 
yeah, there's a strong literary tradition of that kind of thing, like Dead Souls, like as what yeah. Gogol is, is doing Dead Souls. And um, there's a bit that I didn't get to use. There's, this, there's, a writer, there's an artist called um, uh, Eve, Eve Klein, French artist. Oh, yeah. Who sort of, he's in the book um, inscribing his name on the sky. And that was his first artwork. Yeah. But he also, in Paris, he used to sell empty space. Oh, okay. So you had to buy him in, you had to buy it in gold. <laughs> so you hand over your gold and he'd sell you this, give the certificate saying you'd bought this amount of, of empty space. Um, and then he just, I think he, did he destroy the space? You could, you could, you could, um, he'd sell the space back to you for, anyway, I can't remember what. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, um, yeah. Um, with Skippy Dies, I read an article once where you said that you had to take it from a thousand page turkey. Yeah down to what it became which is what 600 pages 600 or something pages, like that yeah, yeah. was there that must have been tough firstly and then secondly was there a similar process with this one or yeah i don't i mean i don't know that it was a turkey i mean what happened with that book was that um the the american editor who got first refusal in the book mm. like did not like it at all you know she just really hated it uh and um so i like i mean you know you don't you lose all perspective on, on the things you're working on so I just thought it, the whole thing was fucked. I thought like I, you know, um, so so I, I kind of um, uh, that was about like a year before it was due to come out. So I, I mean, it was too long, uh, and I knew it was too long. But I, I think like at that point, I really uh, got the fear, uh, and so I started like it was kind of useful. What she said was was actually really useful in the end, because I just took out everything that that was extraneous um, to the book. Um, which is a painful process, but but it was, mm. it was probably the right decision. Uh, with this book, um, like much to a much lesser degree, like th- with that with with Skippy, like those whole like plot strands that were pulled out. Um, this it was just a case of just kind of condensing stuff, but it did go from being um, again probably probably around like six hundred pages or seven hundred pages to being sort of about four fifty. So. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of cutting, definitely, yeah. But I mean, that's just the, that's just the writing process. Like you just you just uh, you're trying to, um, I guess you're trying to, uh, I, I, I guess you know you're, you're trying to look at all these different ideas, um, but you end up you end up doing the same thing in two or three ways. I think that's, or, or certainly I would I would that's what I find myself doing. So you're, you know, you realize that you only need to do it once. So you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of cutting out all the kind of the replication or the duplication. Mm. How, how was it? I suppose following Skippy dies up. Um, did it feel like, uh, you know, I suppose with bands, there's like this difficult second hand album. Like I know yeah. Skippy was your second album, yeah. um, but it's probably fair to say that a lot of people came to you via Skippy. Uh, became your readers after Skippy sure. as opposed to after an evening of long goodbyes. Yeah. Um, did it feel like there was any pressure? It was obviously so well uh, received. Received, thank you. Um, that uh, I, I don't know. Is it, does that make it harder or anything, or it, does that weigh on your mind or anything like that? Or? Yeah, it, do, it does. It does make it harder. I think that uh, if you come from particular, again, David Foster Wallace wrote about this really interestingly um, about being a young writer and uh, you know and failing, you know, and, and not getting readers and you know justifying that to himself or consoling himself with the idea that. Uh, the stuff that he liked just didn't didn't really have commercial success, you know. Like the mm-hmm. bands that he liked or the movies that he liked mm-hmm. were kind of like niche things, like that that only sort of small subcultures liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and like that, that was that was very much true for me as well like the artists that like that I like the musicians that I liked like mm-hmm. wouldn't be people that you know my parents would even have heard of you know right. like my neighbours wouldn't have heard of um, so like for David Foster Wallace he was writing about Infinite Jest and he said that it was just really confusing that suddenly it did have this like massive mainstream success and it did sell like copies and suddenly he was this household name mm. um, and that was just very disorientating because like he no longer knew uh, how to place himself within this, you know, the art world of artistic production, and he mm-hmm. no longer knew, like, you, you, his audience was. Like, what, it wasn't just sort of cool people who lived yeah. in Brooklyn anymore. It was, like, <laughs> it's much bigger, sort of. Yeah. Um, and Skippy Dies, I mean, I don't think it had, like, the same the same uh, success that Infinite Chest had, but it did have um, a lot more readers than, than I expected. Like, I mean, the one thing I didn't expect uh, going into the book or, or bringing the book out, like, with a sense of doom, <laughs> and the one thing I didn't expect was that that it would be a success and that it would, you know, proper success and that yeah. it would, you know, people would buy it. Like that was, that was as I say, yeah. like that was just completely, um, completely unexpected. Uh, and like, the, obviously, that's a, that's an amazing thing. And lots of amazing things happened um, to that book and because of that book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll be forever grateful for that. Uh, that said, like it does, it does um, weigh on you when you come to book three because... Uh, you do have this this audience, you know, and and mm-hmm. uh, having met readers, having met readers of all this, of of many different stripes, and they tell you what they liked about the book, and that's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. But then you, you're worried that they're not going to like book three, you know, yeah, they're yeah, going to yeah. pick up book three and going to go, well, what is this? Is about banks, you know, and this is about French yeah, philosophy, yeah. and this is you know, um, and they're not going to find in in the new book what they liked in the old book, yeah. um, and that's quite a, uh, a frightening thing because uh because you know you you value that or i value that goodwill and i value that that people have given their time yeah. uh to to read to read any book in, yeah. in the modern world you're kind of yeah. grateful to people for that and and from my book in particular like that's a, an amazing thing so you don't want to let people down you know and yeah. but also you want to and you have to kind of be true to yourself yeah. and be true to the be true to your own ideas and you have to take the chance and hope that people will. I mean, I guess the one thing that, on the one hand, uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was kind of weird and and completely surprising that re- readers of all of the different of every different kind of age and and and, uh, and background like like that book. Um, but I guess the takeaway from that would be that um, you can't underestimate readers like people will mm. read you know all kinds of yeah. things you know so you can't even david cameron <laughs> even, even david cameron yeah uh so so you can't you can't second guess them you know and you can't uh assume because uh you know so so i mean you know you, you shouldn't worry maybe that that like they won't like this book because they yeah. like the last book you know you just have to trust that that people people make up their own minds and and you got to uh yeah. yeah, yeah. Once you stay true to yourself as a writer, I imagine yeah. that's a, a big thing for you. Well, I guess if you don't, then you're you're sort of yeah, you know you're, trouble you're, then. you're going down a dark mm-hmm. dark path then. Yeah, because yeah, I think for me, I was, if I'm being brutally honest, a little bit afraid of reading the Mark in the Void because sure. of the banking thing. Yeah. Because I don't have a clue. Like yeah. you know, I really you know, money in and then it disappears, and that's. Yeah. Um, but then I I read it, and I mean, you explain some parts of banking. Um, you know it's not that it's necessary to even explain it really you yeah. explain some parts and derivatives and i kind of understand that now <laughs> so thank you <laughs> um but i mean 
it's it's it doesn't matter really that it's about banking as yeah. such. It's 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 your writing. It's it's funny. The characters are what we like. It's not the yeah. bank, you know. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's so, great. I mean, but 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 uh, and that's that's. I mean, that's that's what like when I was fretting about it, the editor would say, "Well, you know, it still sounds like you, and it still sounds mm. like, and it's still funny, and so forth." Yeah. Um, and you just have to kind of quiet the voice inside you. Yeah. That goes and like and that's the reason there are so few books about. Yeah. Um, to a certain degree, that's why it's easier to write a book about. You know the 1950s and and um, and simple elemental things like the sea and donkeys and and um, and families. You know because everybody knows what a family it is is and everybody knows what the past is and everybody knows. <laughs> but, um, and you and I'm sure you do lose readers because you're writing about like some people will pick up that book and go, well, I'm not reading a book about about banks. You know, I can understand that. You know, so uh, but at the same time. Um, yeah, you hope it's worth it's yeah. worth doing. It's well, I'd say, listeners, it's it's really good. <laughs> Read it. If you don't like banks, it doesn't matter. Um, it's kind of I, I don't know. It, it, a lot of things bring me back to Radiohead. I love Radiohead. Actually, they get a mention in the book, don't they? They do get a mention. Yeah, in the book. Um, I didn't just make that up. Uh, I think I was going to ask about following up at the bends with OK Computer. Or well, book I mean, that, there you go. I mean, yeah. it's, they were obviously kind of like freaked out and like famously like Nirvana just just just. Uh, Another like Nick Cave, I really like Nick Cave, and mm. he spent a, a lot of time, particularly in the early days, like just really disturbed by having an audience, you know, and who, who, who liked him. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I guess if you put yourself, if you sort of imagine yourself as being, uh, as having sort of like an adversarial position or a kind of a critical position, then it's kind of disconcerting to have people saying, Yeah, oh, you know, great, you know, yeah, I really yeah, like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, but just one more question, I suppose, before, yep. before we let you go. Um, it's just about the actual writing. Uh, we're, we're very interested in, in creativity and, and how people do it. So I suppose before Skippy dies, you said you went walking in a park every morning. Yeah. Um, what, was it different when you started writing Mark Did you do something differently or what is your process? Are you nine to five? I know you have your own space yeah. that you go to every day. Um, but I suppose what's your, uh, what's your routine or how do you get into the, the zone or whatever? Yeah, um, I, I well, Skippy dies. I live. I lived in Ranelagh for all of that process, and I, used, as I say, I used to go for a walk every morning for half an hour, and uh, it was great. Sometimes it was um, really hard to go home and start writing the book, just because you know you'd have. Sometimes it's just you know you just don't yeah. want to do it. Um, what happens? The big difference between between Skippy dies and the Mark and the Void in, in regard to the. My own life was that you know I moved in with my girlfriend and, and we had a had a baby, mm. so um, congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a while ago now, but but it meant it meant that the house I couldn't work in the house anymore. Yeah. Uh, I used to live in this big kind of hippie house in in Ranla and everyone would be gone out during the day, and I had this this house to myself, and it was fun, it was wonderful. And I guess it probably fed into the the book in some ways, and it was like this big sort of kind of fairly decaying house. And, uh, <laughs> Slightly gothic, um, certainly untidy. <laughs> uh, and now I now I have this office in the city, and I, conceivably that fed into the into the book as well, into the Mark and the Void, in that it's much more mm. like a city book, you mm. know, and um, there's no suburbs in it, and um, uh, and I don't go for a walk in the morning. I don't have that luxury anymore, really. Uh, I any any time I have in the morning, I would spend with the kid, you know, and I, I'd, yeah. I'd sort of see that as being. Um, like it's great to be able to have that time, you know, to, yeah. to spend with them. And, um, but I would get into, get into the office around like sort of ten, half ten, and stay till stay till six or seven or eight. Like uh, towards the end of this book, you know, once you get to the editing stage, um, you, you know, you, and, and 
you do have editors breathing down your neck to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, you, you, you start staying late. But but broadly speaking, like half ten till six. Um, and you've probably got like four good hours in the morning and then sort of two sort of slightly less good hours in yeah, the yeah. evening. And you maybe just use that for, for reading or research or whatever, whatever yeah. it might be. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the setup. Um, I would be pretty uh, disciplined about that. Right. Um, disciplined by by I mean, it's I, I find the whole process so kind of stressful and anxious, making that that once you're once you're kind of embarked on it, um, like the first the first stage of writing the first draft is usually kind of quite good fun. Right, mm. uh, and then after that. When you start, when you have to turn it into an actual book that someone else could conceivably read, um, it always ends up taking longer than you you thought. And, right. Uh, it just turns into this kind of like massive technical problem, and I always feel like I'm behind. I always feel like I'm behind schedule, and I always feel like I've, I've got to get this done. So I always like, even though the books um, take ages or feel like they take ages, mm. um, I'm always going as fast as I can. You right. know, uh, so it's, it's kind of this strange kind of like push pull thing. Um, going and I'm going as fast as I can, and then like doing an extra draft where I'm, I go as fast as I can again, you know, and then I do it again, then I yeah, do it yeah. again. So most of the time is spent like redrafting, mm. um, and uh, yeah, that's that's the process. So the, so the discipline would come out of that sense of of uh, like the jaws of time kind of snapping at my heels. Okay, like, <laughs> I just got to get this yeah, thing done. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be kind of quite, and like I think a lot of writers would be the same, just quite kind of. Uh, protective of that time you know yeah. um and and would be would sort of take it pretty seriously so i don't yeah. like i don't have wi-fi in the office for instance oh good mm-hmm. idea um so if i if i want to use the internet i go to the go to the library and uh, okay and then, co- then come back cool right that's interesting yeah we're all done well that was that, was that was fascinating so thanks a minute for coming on to the podcast Great. thanks for my pleasure thank you so that was paul murray that was episode 10 and uh, I really enjoyed that. Noel is still here with me. Yes. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Oh, very Your much. first time on the Heads Up Podcast. First time on a podcast ever. Oh, right. Yeah. First time interviewing a writer on, interviewing, on the record. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've been interviewed a bit, I suppose. Once or twice. Yeah. So this was more comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, you can uh, you can now be a patron of the Headstuff Podcast. Um, if you go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash headstuff, uh, you'll see um, our profile. And uh, you can. It's an opportunity for you to fund the Headstuff Pro, uh, Podcast and to uh, to keep us going. Um, and you get gifts and you get various things back. And uh, I suppose you'll keep the podcast ad-free if uh, if we get enough of you divils. <laughs> I always say something in the uh, in the outro. Um, I, I remember last last week I said, <laughs> what was it? I described Connor as... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so uh, you can um, you can you can pay uh, five, ten, or twenty euros a month to uh, be a patron of the Heads of Podcast if you like the episodes, and uh, it'll help us to get a podcast a week out and to keep it ad free. And the more you pay, the more stuff you get. Sometimes you even get physical gifts, which is very nice. But anyway, go on to it, patreon.com forward slash headstuff and uh, and see if you're interested in that. We'd like you to be interested. Also, if you subscribe on iTunes and rate us and comment, that'd be great. Good ratings. That'd be really, really good. Um, and uh, you can follow us on, on Twitter and Facebook. 
Um, so uh, that was it. That was the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Nola Regan, my co-host, uh, who just gave me a thumbs up on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to Connor Wilkins uh, from Wilkins Sound Systems, um, who who do, did the sound again this week. Um, and I hope it sounds good. I'm sure it will. <laughs> uh, thanks to Video Blue for the theme tune and most of all to Paul Murray for being a wonderful guest yep. Skippy lives Skippy lives <laughs> <laughs>